Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and the eighth episode of Greens with Envy. I'm Golf Course Industry Managing Editor Matt Lowell, alongside the magazine's editor, Guy Cipriano. Guy, we're back in Ohio. We were in Florida last week. It was 80 degrees. You ran without a shirt. And today, I almost needed boots to walk from my car in the parking lot into the building. What a horrific image you just gave all our listeners. Thankfully, this is a podcast, not a video, and they don't have to envision what I look like without a shirt. Oh, that image. Well, you're the one who did it, not me. You're like, I'm going to go run without a shirt. Because you could. When you're a northerner and you go to Florida in January, you do things outside just because you can do them while you're in Florida, and you're not going to be able to do them back home for a few months, like golf. Well, and at least you golfed with a shirt on. We probably would have been asked to leave Palm Beach Par 3 if you had tried to golf without a shirt, and it would have been uncomfortable, I bet, and you would have gotten a nice little burn. No, I mean, this is a note to any of our listeners. Always wear a collared shirt to a golf course, especially one that you're not familiar with. You know, if if, if it is a community place, maybe where you practice and the vibe's a little loose, maybe you can go in a t-shirt, but if you're not familiar with where you're going to go, always, always have a collared shirt. So we, on this episode, are going to preview the annual golf industry show But first, we're going to talk about our very brief foray last week to Florida. We had two trips to the Sunshine State, the Orange State. Orange State? I don't remember the nicknames this month. Uh, The The Super Bowl State. Well, this year, yeah. uh, It's at Hard Rock Stadium in Coral Gables, is it? Miami? I don't remember. I don't have my notes in front of me. Uh, The the Golf State. The Golf State. It does have more courses anything else but we were in west palm beach and we had a little bit of time and we wound up going to palm beach par three because of a very kind invitation from tim campbell if you have not had a chance to read the state of the industry package tim campbell one of the seven superintendents i talked with for more anecdotal information uh for the superintendents or humans two story along with stories by superintendents uh, Anthony L. Williams and Ron Furlong uh, in Texas and Washington, respectively. And Tim had said on the survey, sure, reach out to me if you have more questions. And he looked interesting because I, I didn't look at names. I didn't look at club names. All I wanted were interesting stories. And Tim trains for triathlons. He's in his early 50s and works right on the A1A lives about four or five miles from the course. Uh, he's single, and his children are grown, so he has a little bit more time. And because he works for a uh, public course that's owned by the city, he's not working an absurd amount of hours. It's about 40 to 45, which is about 10 to 15 hours a week, fewer than the industry average, according to the survey. So he gets out. He runs about four or five days a week. He bikes right on the A1A a few days after work. Um and he does master's swimming, uh, sometimes about, what, three, four days a week. And he's got some sprints. He's got a, a half Ironman coming up. And we talked about that for the story. And he said, if you're ever down in Florida, in my neck of the woods, come by. Uh, I'll take care of you. You can come out, see the course. And we just happened to be there. And so we took him up on his offer. And it was a beautiful course. Shouldn't it be, when you're talking about someone in Florida, my slice of the beach, not my neck of the woods? My slice of the beach. Well, only if you're on the coasts. Well, anyway, Tim was awesome. 
And great job by you, Matt, to reach out to him. We get those offers frequently. And I think other people in the industry get those offers. Hey, if you're ever coming near my area, reach out to me. Most people never follow through on those. So bravo to you, Matt, for uh, reaching out and making that connection. And bravo to Tim for inviting uh, an industry publication like us to come see the, the golf course. If your golf course is lacking attention or you feel that it's a hidden gem, you know that's a great proactive step to get more attention for your golf courses, to invite a member of the media out. And we took him up on that offer, and I'm so, so glad we did. Tim wasn't feeling 100% that day. I think we got there around 2 p.m. He, uh, It was a long day. It was towards the end of his day. But he, he spent three hours walking uh, hole by hole with us, and it was an unbelievable experience at a golf course that is incredible. Uh, the Palm Beach 3 golf course is on the Atlantic Ocean, and it's also on the Intracoastal Waterway. So at least nine of the – I'm looking at the scorecard right now and going off memory. So uh, three holes on the front play right parallel to the Intracoastal Waterway, and then three holes on the back nine parallel the Atlantic Ocean, but there are other holes that have views of those two waterways – uh, it's only a 36-acre site. It also has a practice range. So there is a lot going on on this awesome piece of land. It's one of the best pieces of golf land I've ever been on. I truly mean that. And it's just 36 acres, par 3 course. And it, it it's better off as a par 3 course or a, a nine-hole course. It, it feels like the holes kind of have some room to to breathe. And when you have such a awesome piece of land, you know, if it were regulation holes, you maybe would only be able to have – one hole parallel to the Intracoastal Waterway and one hole parallel to the Atlantic Ocean. So great job of using the land. Raymond Floyd came in there in 2009 and did a redesign. Uh, Raymond Floyd was a big advocate for the golf course and helped raise some funds for that. Uh, Special, special place, and it's open to the public, so anybody can go and play it. It's also a very busy place, Matt, as we saw. Very busy, Uh, and that's part of it is because you're on two pieces – of water, you're bifurcated by the A1A. There's not a lot of room to park, and <laughs> you drive in, and it feels like a country club because there's Jaguars and there's Land Rovers, and I don't, I didn't see any Teslas, but the valet parking, valet parking for the restaurant. Um, so we actually wound up parking a little up the street at the Phipps Tennis Center, and it was actually the Phipps family about sixty or sixty some odd years ago that gave the land to the city of West Palm Beach and said, this has to remain green space. So on either side of the par three course, there are these probably five or six story condo buildings, but the course will always be a course because A, it's profitable, and B, it is more financially responsible because it has to be green space to leave it as a golf course where it actually makes money than to make it just a park. So... Makes sense. Uh, recently celebrated its 60th anniversary, and like you said, a redesign about a decade ago uh, by Raymond Floyd. Yeah, and I'm a pretty laid-back traveler, as you know, Matt. You've had the chance to, to go around with me and observe me on the road and interact with me, and I'm not one of those people that get uptight about flights or flight connections or traffic, but pulling into a golf course, a public golf course, and not being able to find a 
place to park kind of took me by surprise. I've never had that situation. They were valeting cars behind parked cars, and it was because the restaurant was busy and the golf course was busy, and that golf course gets very busy. Uh, Tim Campbell was telling us that it does 200 to 250 rounds a day during the peak season, right. over 40,000 rounds a year. And think about that. It's a very high-end golf course, uh, great views past Palom playing surfaces, hand-walk greens, hand mode tees, um, very intricate maintenance with some of the, the vegetation areas and bunkering and buffering. And it's a smashing success for the, the city of Palm Beach. It, it makes money. It, it just proves that if you do have the right setting and you do golf right, it can still be profitable even for a municipality. And in 2014, they opened the restaurant Al Fresco and – that restaurant has views of the Atlantic Ocean, and we didn't have a time to eat. We would have loved to, but I heard the menu's good, and uh, that brings in revenue when you can't play at night. So, and I'm just guessing, or in the heat of the Florida summer. So, th- th- this is, and it's got a practice range, so there's revenue coming in that way. This is a very good business model, and it makes you wonder. And we we talked about the cradle on one of our previous episodes. Right. We've talked about uh, seven at Desert Mountain. I had a chance to go to Mountain Shadows last year, a high end uh, short course in the Scottsdale area. So we've talked about a lot of these on the podcast and Matt and I are big fans of them. And it really makes you wonder uh, if, if, if more of these are going to happen. I think they're, they're going to happen. Uh, the, this has always been a part three course, but I could see a municipal course maybe that has 18 holes and it's sort of teetering uh, doing nine, a nine hole course, uh, nine awesome short holes that are, or 18 short holes that are very well maintained and then a practice area. So there's a lot of revenue potential in this and, but you need the right people. And Tim Campbell is the right superintendent for this golf course. I believe he's been there for what, a decade and a half, 15 years. Yeah. He's had a great tenure there. He's learned how to handle the bureaucracy. He's learned how to handle the golfers. Uh, he, you could tell this is somebody that is really comfortable working where he works and, uh, we'll see more superintendents, I think, try to find opportunities like this. There are certainly some challenges. Uh, there's a lot of play. There's a lot of wear. I mean, people play the course really, really quick, so you're you're trying to maintain this high-end golf course around that that type of play. You have to deal with some things with the, 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 the city government that maybe superintendents at privately-owned courses or member-owned courses don't have to deal with. But it was – once we got over the uh, shock and not being able to find a parking place, and here Matt and I – uh, in a rented pickup truck, pick, parking in a public park tennis center, what, about a quarter mile from the golf course? Give or take. And we're walking down the street carrying golf clubs to get to the golf course. But it was beautiful out. We love to walk. We walk the course instead of mm-hmm. uh, take a cart. It was, uh, I guess, a lack of parking at a golf course when you consider some of the things that the golf industry went through during the Great Recession. That's a good problem for golf to have in those situations. Agreed. And, and two, just the fact that there were so many people on the course, it was, what, a Thursday afternoon. We played until about 5 o'clock. We were on from about 2 to 5. We had some folks ahead of us. Otherwise, you probably would have played in about two hours instead oh, of closer to three. We could have dusted that course yeah. off in less than two hours if there was nobody yeah. out there. But uh, Walking. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, there were some cards, but obviously prefer to get the steps in. I wound up caddying for you for a few holes. I've got a sore uh, Achilles, so I didn't trust my trust my swinging very much. Yeah, that was odd having your coworker caddy for you at a par 3 golf course when you're nowhere near a tour caliber golfer. I think people were probably 
giving us looks. Those that are known us are like, what? He's got a caddy? He must must be a player. He must be a stick. And it, it couldn't have been further from the case. But I don't think anybody gave you looks. Hopefully not. I and, don't think so. And there were a lot of people out there. And I think everybody was focused on what I had what was ahead of them because it was such a, a stunning piece of land and such an enjoyable golf experience. The green complexes had some variants. Uh, even some of the, uh, the the holes that weren't parallel to the water, uh, there were two greens, uh, number 12, I believe, and 17 that just set you up for views of the water. Mm-hmm. You walk up little inclines, you get to the green, and you can see the water from the green. So, you know, there were three holes parallel to the Atlantic Ocean, but there were really five greens along the ocean. So that's I think, there, go- were, I think there were six holes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where golfers spend the most amount of their time are on the greens. So the more greens that you can have with awesome views, the better experience that the golfer is going to have. And it was a, it was a great view. I mean, it was like a low 80s, uh, just kind of a ideal South Florida winter. And I guess I say that tongue in cheek for us uh, northerners day. Yeah, my mom is in Orlando, and she's sending me little memes uh, of people in Orlando freaking out because it's about to be 50 degrees, and I I just respond that this is not funny, Mom. I know you grew up in the Midwest. This is not funny. Um, You talk about that 17th green. There was a—it's not a shack, but it was was maybe a 1,000 or 1,200 square foot home— Light blue aluminum siding, little covered hot tub, couple of kayaks in the side yard. Their yard ended, like the the Palm Beach Par 3 property went right up to their patio. And I asked him, uh, the superintendent again, Tim Campbell, how much he thought that property would be worth, thinking, you know, maybe $2 million, maybe $3 Because you see these gorgeous estates on the drive-in, some of which had and this is not a knock on the course at all, some of which had front lawns even better maintained than the golf course. I mean, they, they looked not a blade of grass out of place. So we look at this little blue aluminum siding 1,200 square foot home, and I guess two or three million, because it is on the water, and it's on the 17th green as well. And Tim said, ah, that one was built by two attorneys, and they've sort of given it to their children. If that ever went on the market, hmm, $10 million probably. And that is the amount of money in that, that I don't know, what, what did you say? Slice of beach? Yep. Yeah. It's just the amount of money in, in that part of South Florida is just mind-boggling. Didn't Vanilla Ice sing about the road we were on? The A1A? I don't know. I believe he did. A1A Beachfront Avenue in Ice Ice Baby. So I don't remember all the lyrics. I've never, I, I think it was the first time I've been on a, um, a road that uh, Vanilla Ice rapped or was he a singer what what exactly was he he was technically a rapper fred durst was not a rapper but vanilla ice was yeah just a cool spot and yeah if you're gonna work on a um golf course that is on an awesome location like that odds are they're gonna probably be some homes nearby because everybody wants to be where the views are whether it's mountains uh, sometimes the forest and sometimes the uh the beach slash ocean so that's something that tim campbell and his crew Definitely have to be cognizant of or the home, homeowners and their needs and noise while during certain times of the day. So that's the, that's a challenge that comes with some of these great sites. Yeah. You played it. I walked it. Any takeaways from Palm Beach Par 3? Go do it. If you're ever in the Palm Beach area, 
bring your golf clubs. I'm sure they have rental golf clubs and go do, do it. You'll, you'll have time to play it, you know, book early because this is a crowded place. I couldn't have been more impressed by it. Yeah. I, I did a little research on it going down and, and saw some cool pictures and read some great things, but it really was one of the best golf sites I've ever been on. Yeah. It, the, the website is nice and the photos there are nice, but it does not prepare you for actually getting to the property Walking those holes, uh, even even the holes on the intercoastal are stunning just because you're right on the water. But the, the holes and the greens that are up on the Atlantic are just, you know, it, it's tough to focus on the course because the beach and the, and the water are right there. It's just, it's a stunning place. I hope we get a chance to go back someday. Yep. So you mentioned Orlando a few minutes ago. Right. Well, we're headed to Orlando in a few days for the, the golf industry show. Why don't we preview it? Yeah, you're heading down on Friday to another part of Florida. You're yep. going to Tampa I'll, for a little bit. I'll be in Tampa at Innisbrook Resort for the Golf Writers Association of America Championship. I figured with uh, the golf industry show being in Orlando and the timing of this event, I'm like, yeah, I might as well go down to Florida a bit early and uh, interact with some writers that cover other segments of golf and see Innisbrook Resort. So I'm very excited about that. It'll be a, a nice start to the trip. Matt, this will be your first golf industry show. It, it seems like you've been here for more than a year, but it's only been, what, nine months now? Almost 10, ten months. Yeah. What, what What are your expectations for it? You've read a lot about it. You've heard us talk about it here at the office. What are you expecting from your first golf industry show? What What do you want to see and down there? Well, you're teeing off your weekend with the GWAA Championship at Innisbrook in Tampa. I am opening my weekend on Sunday morning, flying down Saturday afternoon. I am opening it Sunday morning with the Celebration Half Marathon in Celebration, Florida, just outside Orlando. Uh, Staying with my mom. My dad will be down there for the weekend as well. And uh, trying to run 13.1 healthy miles because the last time I ran a half marathon, I wound up in the medical tent for the first time in my running career. That was not fun at Akron. And then after that, we go to Orlando. We have our Airbnb about a mile, mile and a half from the convention center. What do I want? It's a VRBO. VRBO. Home away from home. They're the same thing. It's not an Airbnb. It's a different Oh, same service. difference. Okay. Airb- I feel like Airbnb. We're trying to get a sponsor for this podcast, so we got to get the uh, places we stay right. All right. Well, Airbnb, I feel like, is becoming, unfortunately for like VRBO, I feel like Airbnb is like Kleenex or Dumpster. Band-Aid. Uh, Saltine. These are all uh, brand names. Band-Aid. Yeah, that's the big one. Band. Uh, these are all brand names that have just come to embody their entire market. It's, it's, it's a trash receptacle. Duct tape. Yeah, duct tape. That's right here in Northeast Ohio, right in Avon, on I-90. What do I want to get out of the show, though? Obviously, this is my first chance to see a lot of people in person, have some longer conversations. You know, it's nice to trade emails. It's nice to have phone calls. But meeting people face-to-face, talking, um, we'll be on the trade show floor for a few days, so I've got a handful of booth visits scheduled. And if you are... uh, PR person, or if you uh, are with a company, I've got a fair amount of time, hmm, a little bit of time Wednesday, more time Thursday, uh, if you want me to come by your booth. Uh, and then Wednesday at 2 o'clock, we have our tweet up, 
at the Aqua Trolls booth, booth 1617. That'll be fun. And I'm actually uh, on the mic for that one. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it actually, 2 p.m. is when the happy hour starts, and then 3 p.m. 3 p.m. is the actual celebration, and then 4 p.m., I guess there's another happy hour, although the celebration will probably only take 20 to 25 minutes. So, you know, we, we keep things quick and concise because we know people's time are tight at the golf industry show. But, yep, the tweet up, this will be the ninth annual GCI tweet up presented by Aquatrolls. We've got a great partner in this, so everything's at the Aquatrolls booth, and that is booth number 1617. Again, 1617, beginning at 2 p.m., happy hour, 3 p.m. awards. Happy hour will continue probably to about 5 p.m., so I guess it's a happy three hours, however you want to do it. There'll be live music, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're honoring some great people from all segments of the industry. That's something that is really awesome this year. It's just not superintendents getting award awards. We have a, a superintendent from an eight hole, 18-hole private course, Tyler Bloom, getting the Kaminsky Award, which is the highest honor. But then we have a superintendent from a nine-hole course, Michael Vesely from mm-hmm. Culver Academy's golf course, getting best Twitter feed. And then Maggie Ryder, a researcher in California, in that best Twitter feed. And Leslie Thomas, an assistant superintendent from Toronto, is the Conservation Award. Our friends at Rush Creek, Best video. A lot of people have seen the Maintenance Monday videos. Best overall use of social media. We have Bill Bergen, a golf course architect. And we also have the Carolinas GCSA assistant. So we're, you know, honoring a whole group of people. And then best ideas shared on social media is Trent Manning, uh, an equipment manager in Georgia. So we really have superintendents getting honored, assistant superintendents getting honored, equipment manager getting honored, architect getting honored, researcher getting honored honored. So it's going to be a awesome collection of people representing all segments of the golf industry. And we couldn't be happier about having this event. Uh, we're honored that people are, are going to be in Orlando for it. And uh, it's going to be the, the highlight of our show. It usually cl- is one of the things that we really remember going back. It happens so fast. You know, it's just so exciting. Matt, you'll do a great job of hosting it. So I, I highly encourage people that have time between um 2 p.m. and like 3.30 p.m. definitely to go over and check it out. And you'll meet some great people and you'll hear some inspiring stories about how people are using social media for the good. I love that you rattled off every tweet up social award, social media award winner from memory. You have papers in your hands. You did not look at them once. No, it's important to us. I mean, we put on the event. We better damn well know who we're honoring. So these are very awesome people. I know some of them personally. Uh, these are special people. These are talented people. Like I said, there are a lot of segments of the industry represented. So we're we're proud to to be involved in this event. And uh, the Aquatrols team always does a great job with the presentation. Uh, it, it really is a, a highlight, and it's hard to believe that this thing has made it nine years. I remember a few years ago, a editor at another publication called social media a fad and it wouldn't last long in the golf industry well here we are nine years into the social media awards and social media is still here you know sometimes people take breaks from it sometimes people sour on it but the people that use it with the right mindset and with a clear purpose are still getting something from it and you know our company covers 
over a dozen different markets. It might even be mm-hmm. close to 20 different markets. I should I should know that. It's funny. I can rattle off our social media award winners uh, from memory, but I don't know what publications are in the own building I work at. But the point is, is of all the markets that our company GIE Media covers, this is the most engaged one on social media. I, in I fact, so, yeah. you know, last week we had over 170,000 Twitter impressions. So that's that's gigantic for a publication our size. So you know, for people that thought it was a fad or it was just going to go away, well, it hasn't gone away yet. And like I said, there's some people doing great things on there for the industry and providing others with inspiration and information that can make them better at their jobs. Yeah. And I don't know. I would say Facebook, eh, I'm not on Facebook. It has its its drawbacks. Twitter has its drawbacks, but that's the only one I'm on. But Friendster and MySpace, those those were probably fads. Well, it's competition, right? Like like somebody comes into a space that really hasn't been invaded, and of course others are going to emulate it or try to do it better. So, yeah, they, those two didn't have much of a lifespan. I was never on either, but yeah, they created the competition that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and a few others kind of spread it up from. Yeah, I definitely had a MySpace. Maybe we can get Mark Zuckerberg on the podcast one day. Mm, I don't know if I'd want to do that. Why not? I just don't want to talk with him. I will. I'll do it. I don't care. Right. Uh, people, it'd be the most listened to podcast in golf course industry history. So I'd put whatever. You know, sometimes you have to put personal feelings and views aside and uh, do something for the job, and that would be uh, that would be interesting. But I doubt that he has any idea that they're publications using his platform to give information to people maintaining something like a golf course. Does he even golf? Do we even know that? I don't think he does. I have no idea. I've never seen him anywhere near a course or with a club in his hands. If he does, he does it by, like, stealth of night. All right. We, uh, we have the golf industry show to worry about. I yeah. don't think we can spend too much time also, on Mark Zuckerberg. Also looking forward to, uh, I, I do have, um, it's not confirmed, I do have one tentative Course visit about forty five minutes away. Looking forward to that. Planning to write a story about that course, or probably for the March issue. And then we also have the annual group run. That's at six a.m. Wednesday morning. That should be fun. All all uh, mile paces are welcome. You can run seven minute pace. You can run twelve, thirteen, fourteen minute pace. Oh yeah, I just called the tweet up my favorite event of the golf industry show. Well, the group end. Group Run might also be my favorite event on the Golf Industry Show. That is a great thing. It was started, I believe, six years ago in San Antonio. I missed that one, but I started coming to these in 2015. And they're basically a group of us representing different segments of the industry that get together and run and chat. And it's it's an awesome group of people. Uh, Jim Nagel, a golf course architect, one of the lead organizers organizers of it. Uh, Rick Pageant, who was my boss at the Penn State Golf Courses, usually shows up. Alex Studeman, our friend from TPC, mm-hmm. Deer Run. Uh, Steve Hammond, a past social media award winner, superintendent up in northern Michigan. John Jennings, our friend at Shinnecock Hills, is usually there. Glenn Mizak, I'm going to believe, I'm probably butchering his last name, but he's a superintendent in Massachusetts. He shows up, and there are a few others that, that show up, and the more the merrier. So yeah, 6 a.m. in front of the convention center, Wednesday, all are welcome, and I promise if you show up, it'll be probably the best networking thing you do at the Golf Industry Show. And then the next morning, 6.30, is the 5K. We're both registered for that. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, Besides that, what else are you looking forward to for your, I don't even know what this is, your sixth annual or your seventh annual GIS? This is number six for me, I believe. Yeah, my first one was in uh, 
2015 in okay. San, San Antonio. And in fact, I met Cowboy Cerrone at the 2015 <laughs> Uh, GIS in Who San got, Antonio. He was at the Cushman booth, I believe. And of course, he just got knocked out in by 40 Conor seconds. McGregor yeah. this past weekend. But hey, he got a big payday. He's a celebrity. Uh, he still has staying power in uh, UFC. I believe Conor McGregor's in UFC, right? There's so many different ones of them. Sounds right. Yeah. But he isn't even the best trade show uh, celebrity sighting that I've had in my Six years here at Golf Course Industry. <laughs> I know where you're going with this now. Matt and I were on a secret mission, semi-secret mission in Palm Beach last week, and we bumped into the king. 200 wins for number 43, Richard Petty. Yeah, it was pretty random. We had no idea he was going to be at this event. We were talking to some people, looked behind us, Saw what some forty three? We saw kind of parts of the forty three car, and then powder blue. Yeah, we saw a little line. I mean, it was only like a half dozen people right. in it. Walk up a little bit closer, and it's like, holy crap! There's Richard Petty. So you know, Matt and I kind of got in line, shook his hand, took a picture with him. He called everybody young man. In fact, there was somebody in their late sixties behind me, and Richard Petty, you know, looked down, shook his hand, said, "How you doing, young man?" And the guy was kind of laughing afterwards to us, saying, "Wow, I just got called a young man. I don't hear that very often." But he was cool, and it, it's funny. I know Matt. Matt's not on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, and of course, I did the natural thing later that night. I posted the picture of me and Richard Petty on Facebook, and I didn't realize how beloved he was until I posted that picture, and people were commenting, "Oh, I met him a few years ago." I you know, some of my sports writing f- friends, I interviewed him. He was great. And it just goes to show you that uh, if you treat people well and have the platform, you're going to be remembered fondly. And it, uh, Matt and I will always remember Richard Petty fondly from that appearance at the event we were at last week. And, yeah, that, that's a pretty big time when you consider his record and how mm-hmm. popular his sport was and what he did for that sport in that era. That's a pretty big time trade show sighting. Yeah, and I was eight when he retired, and I was raised in the North, so I don't really... I might have watched him on TV a handful of times, but everybody knows him. I know him more from the commercials than, you know, watching him race. Uh, Obviously, his son, Kyle, Mm -hmm. was a renowned driver, and his father, Lee, was also a driver. And his his late grandson, Adam. Yep, yep. So four generations there of Petty's Mm -hmm. that have made an impact on that sport. That, That was pretty cool, so... Yeah, little, little bit now, of... Now, if we see Richard Petty at the Golf Industry Show, I'm going to think something's going on. Yeah. Little bit of trivia. Um, obviously, Adam Petty died in a in a wreck uh, on, on the track when he was 19. Very tragic. Died just months after his great-grandfather, Lee. But Adam Petty, who did compete professionally uh, in stock car racing, believed to be the first fourth-generation pro athlete in North American history. So if you play bar trivia, there you go. Sock that away. Maybe it'll be worth points someday. You know, for me, the overall, the thing I'm probably most looking forward to at the Golf Industry Show is seeing members of our team. Mm-hmm. So Matt and I are based here in Northeast Ohio. And then the columnists that you read and really enjoy following in the magazine live all over the place. So, mm-hmm. for example, Tim Morgan's in Hilton Head, South Carolina. We get to spend some time with him next week. Mm-hmm. Matthew Orton's at Carolina Golf Club in Charlotte. We get to spend some time with him next week. Henry Delosier 
is based in Arizona, but I don't know how often he's there. We get to spend some time with him next week. Uh, Terry Buchan lives in Idaho. We get to spend some time with him next week. And our newest columnist, uh, Bradley Klein, lives in New England, so we get to see him next week. And for us, it's really uh, we, we talk to our columnist a lot. We gain a lot of insight with them because they are really stalwarts in this industry and some of the most respected people uh, at the golf industry show. I mean, in fact, like you, you'll, you'll see just people randomly going up to a Tim Morgan or Matthew Wharton and a Bradley Klein just wanting to, to get their time and talk to him and a Henry Delosier and a Terry Buchan. So I'm not going to leave any of our columnists out. I'm not sure if they listen or not, but I want to make sure that we recognize all of them. So it's going to be cool, you know, for Matt and I are still relatively younger people in the golf industry. I believe the average age of a GCSAA member is somewhere around 47, 48 years old. So Matt and I are well under that. So we're still younger people in the industry. We're still, uh, you know, taking this magazine in, in the direction that it needs to go to, to be impactful, not only in the present, but the future. So for us to get to spend time with our columnists and contributors who have been in this industry for a very long time is invaluable to, to us. And another thing I want to see at the golf industry show is Really, do we have to talk about what the show used to be like? Do we really have to talk about, oh, back when it was this big? Oh, I remember when it used to take up the big convention hall in Orlando. Well, guess what? Things are never going to go back to that again. It was a different era. It was a different market. Uh, we have a different type of show now, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's never going to be the big show again. I mean, that's just the reality of the market. That's the economics. The way people do business now is a lot different than they did them in the late 90s and the early 2000s. You know, face-to-face -face is still valuable, but there are definitely ways where you can not do as much face-to-face -face interaction and still get your, your product information and get your industry news and, and learn what the trends are and what others are thinking. So, Really, let's focus on what it is now and what it might become in, in the future because talking about the glory days or the boom years, I mean, yeah, we, we've learned from them. Uh, the market has corrected itself because, because of those, but really dwelling on those doesn't accomplish anything for anybody. And I'm sure it'll be a conversation starter amongst people, but you know, let's do better and let's find other ways to start conversations at, at events like the Golf Industry Show. I think that sums it up. It should be a really fun week. Like I said, you're flying down Friday. I'm flying down Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, obviously, the weather will be better, but just the fact to to see so many people and to uh, really to plan out the year ahead and to a large degree. You know, we're fortunate. Golf course industry is a – we have a booth. We're an exhibitor. Uh, we'll be in booth 1747. Stop by. Get your earbuds. Uh, yeah, we're giving away Superintendent Radio Network earbuds, so those will be cool to have to listen to our podcast. You'll meet members of the team. I mean, Tim Morgan will be around the, the booth, and Matt and I will be there a lot, you know, taking readers' questions and listening to readers' concerns. So, you know, we're, we're lucky. We're exhibitors. We're, we're a media company. We cover the industry. We don't have to go to our bosses and pitch why you know, spending X number of dollars to go to the golf industry show is a good investment for our company. We know a lot of our listeners, uh, superintendents, assistant superintendents, architects, builders, you know, other, other people really do have to make a sales pitch to their club. And I guess, you know, that's up for each individual to decide what type of value they're going to get from the event, like mm -hmm. the golf industry show. Cause there's certainly a lot of other ways in this era where you can get information and network and meet people. So, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone what they should or should not do. That's up to you and your situation. And you have to deem what gives you value for your facility and for your own career. So should be a great week. Uh, hope to see all of you there. Like you said, booth number 
1747. So 1747 is where we'll be a lot of the time. And you'll meet all the time, but most of the time. And you'll meet some of the behind the scenes people involved in the right. magazine. Our publisher, Dave Zai, will be around, who is uh, incredibly supportive of everything we do. And he actually worked on a golf course. He worked golf course mm-hmm. maintenance for the Cleveland Metro Parks, Big Met golf course in his uh, late teens and early 20s. So Dave gets it. He understands the golf market. Uh, our national accounts manager, Russ Warner, will be around the booth. Our other account manager, Andrew Hatfield, who is a GIS rookie, will be around. And then our awesome marketing director, Irene Sweeney, will be at the booth. And if you just want to hear someone uh, spin stories and get fired up about things, visit the booth, say hi to Irene. But, uh, you know, Matt and I are really going to make a conscious effort when we don't have some of these um, meetings and media events to spend time at the booth and really interact with readers and, and get feedback from them on the magazine, say hello, and listen to any concerns they have because, you know, we're like a, we're like a golf course. We're evolving, and we can always be better. Yeah. So hope to see you down in Orlando, the show itself, Monday through Thursday, the trade show, Wednesday and Thursday. Next Tuesday, we will be back on the Superintendent Radio Network. Guy will have a special episode of Tartan Talks already recorded. Uh, we may or may not. Oh. We may have to record it at the Golf Industry Show. Oh, I so thought you already recorded that's it. That's to be determined. Oh, well, don't listen to me then. But no, we're going to have an awesome guest on talking about an incredible person that, that just left us. So it may appear next Tuesday. It may appear a bit later than that. We have a lot of responsibilities and a lot of traveling going on. So we will definitely have an episode of Tartan Talks coming up here in the next week and a half, but I don't want to give too much more away. Well, I think people can put two and two together and figure out at least the subject matter of the podcast. It's a very deserving subject matter. And of I'll course. Leave it at that. Of course. So thank you, as always, for listening to Greens with Envy on the Superintendent Radio Network. We'll catch you back here for more episodes of Tartan Talks and Off the Course and Beyond the Page. Hopefully you caught last week's episode, had our new columnist Bradley Klein on, had uh, Superintendents Jared Kalina and Kyle Hegland from Ballyneal and Sand Hill, and uh, also had Guy on talking about the state of the industry. So For Guy Cipriano, the editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, I'm the managing editor, Matt Lowell. Thank you, as always, for listening. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. And the next time we talk with you, it'll probably be in sunny Orlando, Florida. We will see everybody in the Gulf State. Continue to A1A. Peace,